group Bible study, Torah Club, begins a new track at the same time every year. Uniting disciples of the Jewish Messiah with his people in this ancient study cycle. And we are excited to announce this year's Torah Club, the beginning of wisdom. Today's world has gone crazy, but God's wisdom is the antidote to the insanity. In times such as these, it's urgent for disciples of Jesus to get grounded in the Bible that Jesus read and taught. Biblically, wisdom is the opposite of folly. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But a fool does not delight in understanding. Our world today has chosen folly. Its values are directly opposed to God's wisdom. Of wisdom and understanding, the proverb states, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. What a needed message for the issues that disciples face in this crazy and foolish world. Each Torah club lesson highlights God's divine wisdom as we go through the weekly Torah portion. The beginning of wisdom is direct, countercultural, and biblically rooted, calling Yeshua's disciples to magnify their fear and love of God. The Torah Club provides you with thorough, well-researched program materials to have a great year of in-depth study and learning. We've also seen how the Torah Club links together like-minded disciples who are seeking a biblically rooted life. It fosters self-investment in learning and encourages group discussion. One thing we hear often is how Torah Club adds new layers of biblical understanding as it puts the Bible back into its proper context, its Jewish context. Right, and perhaps these are the reasons why Torah Club is the world's largest and fastest growing Messianic Jewish Bible study. Small groups led by ordinary people are being established throughout the world and making an impact. Disciples need to be rooted in God's wisdom, perhaps today more than ever, established in the Torah fully revealed through the Messiah. May God bless you from Jerusalem. Please consider joining us in our study, The Beginning of Wisdom. Come on, there we go. So guys, for those of you who may be interested, there will be a new tour club beginning October 23rd. It meets here on uh, Sunday afternoons at 3 p.m., uh, that's the beginning of wisdom. If you want to know more about that, that should be information in your bulletin for Miss, with Miss Jane Bevel. She's your contact person for that. And so uh, I know many of you have already uh, taken those classes and have learned so much through that. And if you're interested, I encourage you to reach out. And it's a, fa a fantastic way to get deeper into the Word of God, and especially, like they said, uh, understanding the scriptures in its original context, which is so very important. We're so far removed in this Western North American uh, context that a lot of times we miss a lot. It's lost in translation. So they, they have a wonderful way of bringing it back all together. So very, very interesting, very important um, if you're interested in that. So if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to jump into Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Um, I spent a couple of uh, messages several weeks ago just looking at the life of Abram, otherwise known as Abraham. And I wanted to take our time really looking at the covenant promises themselves. We, we talked a lot about that last time as we jumped into Genesis 12. And today I want to really bring this very close to home 
as we, as we look at the life of Abraham, and we look at how he lived and, and how he walked, we're going to learn so many valuable lessons about how we can live and about how we can walk. And so the title of my message is Walk by Faith, Not by Sight. Now let's, let's remember that we come, to a, we come into a relationship with the living God by grace through faith. Faith is the key. Faith is, it is the one condition. If there's a condition for salvation in the Bible, you got to believe. You got to believe, okay? You have to trust in the Lord, okay? And that's our initiation into the family. That is our, that's the moment that I hope all of you in this room today have a testimony that you can remember that there was some point in your life, you may not know the exact day or hour, but there was some moment, some point in your life when you heard the gospel, you heard this, this message of salvation, you heard this, this amazing love of God, you heard about this Jesus who died for you and was raised for you and who is offering you the gift of eternal life. And you heard that one day and your heart was convicted and you knew that I wanted that. I, I want to have this relationship with God. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to know that I can have eternal life. I want to know that I'm going to have the hope of heaven. And hopefully everybody in this room at some point in their lives exercised faith. Said, I trust in you, Lord. You're the only way. You're the only one. That's what we just sang a few minutes ago, right? There is no other. Jesus is the only one. He's the only way. But I want to remind you today that that's, that's just the beginning part. That's just the initiation into the family of God, into the faith. That's why Jesus said that a man must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now think about it. If we're going to be reborn, born again, we start over as a baby. And so we have a lot of what? A lot of growing to do. So, so we enter into relationship with God by faith. But that's not the end. That's just the what? That's just the beginning. Now, at that point, once we have that relationship, once we have that promise that we do belong to Christ, that our sins have been forgiven, that we are secure, and that we will spend eternity in heaven with God one day, once we have that settled in our heart, now begins the journey. And now we get to walk. We get to live it out. Live out our faith. And that's where the challenges really do come in, isn't it? As we're going to see in the life of Abraham, it very much reflects, I think, our lives as well. We're going to see Abraham has some very good days and some, he has some pretty bad days. Abraham sets for us a very good example in many ways. And in some ways, Abraham sets a bad example for us. Because that's the, the journey of faith. That's the way that the journey of faith really is. It's a walk. It's a relationship. And, and we're trying to figure this thing out. And we're trying to grow up as believers. And so I really want to really look at the, the I'm, we're going to look at chapters 12 and 13 today. I'm going to do my best to cover them. I'm, you know, we're, I'm not going to exegete every single verse of scripture, but there's some such valuable lessons that we're going to learn from the life of Abraham and his nephew Lot in this, in this passage of scripture that directly applies to you and me today as we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. So let's go to Genesis 12. Let me just read the first eight verses, and, and we'll just kind of unpack this a little bit. 
So just picking up again in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred of your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you, and here's his promise. This is the promise of God. This is the covenant, right? I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever dishonors you or whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, remember that because that's going to be key to what happens to Abraham in a minute when he goes down into Egypt. That promise right there is going to be critical. In verse 4, so Abram went. So he obeyed, right? So he, he was willing. He had courage. He went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, Lot was Abraham's nephew, okay? Lot's father had died, and Abraham kind of took him under his wing. And Abram and Sarah did not have children at this time, so they just kind of said, okay, Lot, you're just kind of, you belong to me. I'm going to raise you now. You're my nephew, but you're kind of like a son. So Lot and Abram had this very close relationship. So Lot went with Abram. Now it says, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent in Bethel on the west side of Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So the first thing I want to share with you guys is is we're we're looking now at, at Abram's obedience. And now he's going to the land of Canaan. So the first thing I want to share with you, if you have your listening guide, maybe you're filling in blanks, it should be up on the screen. The first thing is that like Abram, okay, so let's let's put ourselves in his shoes for a moment. We are called to walk by faith as wanderers in this world. We're still awaiting our future inheritance in the land of promise. Now, I want you to think about Abram. He was a wanderer. He, he lived a nomadic lifestyle. Do y'all know what that means? They were tent dwellers. And it's a, it's a perfect illustration, really, of where we still are in this world. Because we, too, are still wanderers in this world. And so like Abram, who obeyed God and had the courage to exercise faith and do what the Lord commanded him to do, he goes to the land of Canaan, he's walking by faith, and the Lord is showing him this land that he tells will be his future inheritance. He's saying, this land, Abram, is going to be yours, and it's going to belong to your descendants after you forever and ever. There's something unique and special about that land. This, of course, is what we call the land of promise or what the bible says the land of canaan now just a little side note who is canaan let's don't forget because this will be important on down the road depending on how far we get into this study and looking at genesis and the life of abraham we need to remember who is canaan okay canaan was the son of ham canaan was cursed by noah because of something his father did We, we talked about that back in our genesis study uh, previous about that whole episode with Noah and getting drunk and something something 
bad happened, and you can go back and listen to that if you want to, to see kind of what I thought happened in that situation. But, but nonetheless, Canaan was cursed, okay? But by the time Abram gets to the land, the descendants of Canaan had already settled there. Now, why is that significant and why is that important? Well, I'll just, I'll just briefly tell you it's because basically every enemy of God's people comes from the line of Canaan, from the descendants of Canaan. The Amorites, the Jebusites, y'all, y'all know the, all the ites in the Bible? The Girgashites and the Hivites and the, you know, the Jebusites, Amorites, all, these, all of these clans end up being descendants of Canaan and they're already settled in the land, fully established by the time Abram gets there. Now, that's very, very significant because we will see later that these were also where the giant clans come from. They came from the Canaanites, the Amorites, okay, all of these giant clans that were there. By the time that Abraham was there, they were already there. By the time that Moses and the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, they're there. They're in full number. By the time Joshua and the children of Israel go in to conquer the land, I mean, they are immersed in the land. There's a reason the Canaanites went there to begin with. Because they were, in my estimation, in my persuasion, these were wicked groups of people, very immoral people, pagan people, and they were underneath the persuasion of the enemy, of the evil one, and that Satan is smart. The devil knew that that was the land of promise. That was the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was going to be the land where Jesus would come, the Messiah. So he said, you know what, I'm going to get a head start, and I'm going to put my seed in the land so that by the time they get there, I'll be what? I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Make no mistake about it. That's what that is all about. Okay, so the land of Canaan, the reason it was called Canaan is because that is where Canaan and his descendants began to settle even by the time that Abraham gets there. So they already have kind of laid claim to the land. Isn't it funny how that land is still under dispute today? Nothing's been really resolved, right? I mean, to to some extent, yes, but, but it's still under big dispute today. There's a reason for that. There's something unique about that land but Abram goes there and Abram doesn't have a right in a sense or he doesn't have a claim to the land because at this point in his life he is still just a wandering nomad so Abram and his family Abraham Isaac and Jacob they were all nomadic people they were tent dwellers and so basically what they had to do is it because they had herds and people and flocks and tents they had to basically go from place to place and good pasture for their animals finding good water sources and wells and things like that. So they didn't stay in any one place very long. Okay? And you can kind of imagine that. And this was not easy living back in the day, right? You had to travel. You had to walk. You had to navigate the terrain. You had to, to work hard. You had to set up camp. I mean, it was, it was strenuous living in those days. But what we see here is that Abraham walked by faith in the land. This is very, very, very significant. I'm going to read to you from Genesis 13. I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis 13 real quick. If you want to turn there, turn with me to Genesis 13 because this is a very important, interesting passage that's very much connected to to this this part of the uh, story here. In Genesis 13, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18, okay? I want you to listen to this. The Lord said to Abram, I'm reading Genesis 13 now, verses 14 through 18. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, he said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. They were up on a very high mountain there in the middle of the heartland of of the Canaan. 
And he said, I want you to look north, south, east, and west. In other words, look in every direction as far as the eye can see. He says, all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring for how long? How long is forever? Forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, so your offspring will be counted. Now look at verse 17. Interesting. He says, he's talking to Abraham. He says, arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so we see Abraham do so. Now there's an ancient custom that if you were to acquire a piece of property, a piece of land, and you and the, and the landowner are negotiating terms, and you come to an agreement, and a contract is made, or whatever it may be, that that land was not officially transferred unto you as the new landowner until you walked the entire boundary of the land. You would have to walk the entire boundary of the land, and once you walk the entire boundary and gave your approval, then at that moment the contract was, was, was good and the land was transferred officially and legally unto you. You see, what is God doing with Abraham? He said, Abraham, as far as your eyes can see, this land belongs to you and your offspring, your descendants. Now, back up in Genesis, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 3. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are called sons of, anybody remember? Abraham. Sons of God, yes. But we're sons of Abraham. We are of the offspring of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. So this matters to you and me too. All the way back here, we're looking 4,000 years ago when this really happened. It pertained to you and me today. That's what I want you guys to hang on to. That's what I want you to see. This is not just some old ancient fairy tale, some ancient story that has no relevance in our life today. There is something about the land. There's a promise to Abraham and his descendants after him forever. And by faith in Jesus, we become part of that family. We become part of that promise. It's very, very important. And so God is telling Abraham, I want you to walk the whole land, the length and the breadth of it. I want you to, to, to survey the land. And once Abram did this, officially, according to God's decree, that land belonged to who? To Abraham. It belonged to him and his what? His descendants, which includes who? It includes us today. It's an amazing thing. But here's the thing I want you to see. Even though this promise was good, we know God's promises never fail. Even though Abraham did everything that God told him to do, and he surveyed the land, and, and there was an official acknowledgement that this now belongs to you, Abraham. Even though all those things are true, is that this promise was never fulfilled or realized in Abraham's lifetime. Listen to what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7. Listen to this. Acts 7. Stephen, y'all know Stephen, he got, he got stoned there in Jerusalem. It says, God gave Abraham no inheritance here in the land. Not even one square foot. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants even though he had not he had yet to have a child. Now, what should that tell you and me today? Is that God made Abram a promise. 
He said, as far as your eyes can see, let's survey the land. We're going to do this together. I'm going to show you this place that is going to be your land, your promised land. I'm giving it to you. And yet Abraham lived 175 years and never owned one square foot of that land. Did God's promise fail? Hadn't failed. Where is Abram today? As far as we know, he's in the presence of the Lord, right? He's with the Lord in, in, in the kingdom, in, in the heavens, wherever, whatever that is like. We, we don't know for fully. He's there. He's alive. Remember what God said, I'm God of the living, not the dead. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's alive. He, he's in the presence of the Lord. But there is still something that he's still waiting for. He's waiting for God to give him what? That land. Think about that. And he's going to get it one day, along with all of his descendants. All those who have put their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in the Messiah of Israel. We call him Jesus, the Christ. So guys, in Hebrews 11, we see this again, we see this reiterated. It says, by faith, Abram went to live in the land of promise as a foreigner in the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He, they were heirs with him as the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen it says, but they all died in faith, listen, not having received the things promised. This is important for you and me. They died in faith, yet to receive the things that had promised, but hey, they had seen them and greeted them from afar, okay? In other words, Abram could kind of, he could kind of look down the corridors of time and he believed that there would be coming a day in the future, even though he wouldn't receive it in his lifetime, there would be coming a day from afar, he could see it, he believed it, that he would receive that land and it would be fulfilled, that promise. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God has prepared for them a city. Now, what does that have to do with you and me? I want to share with you a few things that we have received. Now, let's, let's back up. What is the one thing that Abram did get to see before he died? He got to see the birth of his son, Isaac. And he even got to see his grandson, Jacob, Jacob and Esau. So God at least let him see that much. Think about the faith it required Abraham to believe everything else that God had promised his people. Everything else. He didn't get the land. He, had never, he didn't get to see Messiah in, as far as the, the coming of Jesus. He, he, didn't, he didn't get to receive all of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. All of these things that, that we now have access to. And he didn't even get to have access to those things. And yet he still what? He still believed. That's why he is a man of faith. So you put yourself in his shoes. I mean, it's a miracle that he believed the way that he did, knowing that he failed to see almost anything that was promised to him, except he did get to see Isaac and Jacob. Now, now let's, let's put this in our shoes today. Here we are today, and we are children of God, sons and daughters of Abraham. We put our faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God's made us a bunch of promises, too. You know it? God's made you and me a bunch of promises too. Now, what are the promises that we have received? Let's talk about them first. I shared it with you before the Lord's Supper. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have that promise today? Amen. Yes. The love of God has been settled. He has promised it, and it has been fulfilled in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The love of God, we are loved. We have been we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to be afraid of being punished for our sin because Jesus took that punishment for us. Guys, that's a promise of God that has been received. We have received that promise. Let me give you a few more. You, you, if you're here today and you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. Forgiven. Restored to God in a relationship. If you're here today, you've been adopted into the family of God. Legally, we now are sons and daughters of God. We said that just a minute ago. So, so we, are, we, are son, we can be called sons and daughters of God. That is a promise that you have when? Right now. You, you, can, you can bank on it. It's yours. It is a realized truth in your life. If you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are his child. And then we have the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, it's better, I'm going away, but if I go away, the Father and I will send to you a helper, the comforter, the wonderful Holy Spirit, and he will come and he will live where? In you. Those are things today, right now, promises of God that we have in Christ Jesus. But you know, there's a lot of things that we don't have yet. Just like who? Just like Abraham. Can I share some of those with you? Well, see, there's coming a day when all the forces of darkness and all evil will be judged and defeated on this earth. Have we received that promise yet? Last time I checked, the world's still pretty what? Pretty evil and dark. See, there's coming a day when we're going to get new glorified, resurrected bodies. Amen. Have we received that yet? Neither has Abraham. You see, there's coming a day when all of creation will be liberated from its bondage to corruption, the, the degeneration, the decomposition of, of all of creation. When there will be a new heavens and a new what? Are we living on a new heavens and new earth yet? No. That hasn't happened yet. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ the Lord will return from heaven with a shout and the cry of a command and the trumpet of God and he will come and judge his enemies and rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords from his throne on the throne of David in Jerusalem and we will be underneath his kingdom for at least a thousand years and forevermore. Has that happened yet? No. And there's coming a day when we will be co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ and we will receive our inheritance. Guess what? In the Lamb. And we will be rewarded for how we have lived in this world. Now the reason that I want to share that with you guys is because if you're out there still struggling with your faith a little bit, it's because there are many things that are still very badly wrong with our world and even with us that God has promised to resolve one day. We're just not there yet. And every discontentment and everything in your life that is 
that you're not satisfied with right now, whether it's broken relationships, maybe your health is bad, maybe you're struggling financially, maybe you are um, in emotional pain. I don't know what it is, but we're all dealing with something, right? We're all hurting in some way. And everything that we're hurting with and everything that we're dealing with is simply this, is that those things will be resolved once and for all in the kingdom of God. When his kingdom comes, all of that will be taken care of. So just like Abraham was waiting for all of these promises to take place, and guess what, guys? He's still waiting. He's still waiting. So are we. So we're out here. We're in a world that is not our home. And we're walking by faith as wanderers, exiles, and strangers in a place that we don't, frankly, we don't belong. No, let me, let me say it this way. This is our home. It's just been totally corrupted by the evil one. We're going to get it one day. God's going to make it new again so that we can inherit it one day. But until then, guys, we're out here wandering around strangers and exiles. Does anybody feel out of place? A little bit? Does anybody feel a little uneasy sometimes thinking, I just, I just, I'm just ready to go? There's nothing wrong for a believer to say, I'm just ready to go, Lord. That's because we were made for not for this, we were made for something more. We were saved for something more. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to share this with you real quick. Walk by faith. This probably speaks so much to what Abram was dealing with and what you and I are dealing with today. Look, look at this amazing passage. 2 Corinthians 5. Read with me, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Didn't we just kind of read that, I think, in Hebrews 11? We have this building from God. A house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, okay, so in this body, think about your body, in this tent, we groan. We're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan. Being burdened, guys, not that, that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Do you see the language? Hey, we're groaning. We're hurting. We're still suffering. We're still dying. There's still some promises that have not yet been fulfilled. But verse 6 says this, So we are always of good courage, and we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. To be at home with the body is to be present with the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Isn't that what I just said? Sometimes it's like, Lord, I just, I'm just ready. I'm done with it all. I'm okay. It's okay. I, I just, I just want to be with you, Lord. It says we would rather be away from, excuse me, away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. So, guys, just like Abram. We are still called to walk by faith because there are promises that God has made. Has God ever failed on a promise? 
He never will. But we're having to wait for that. Patience. It's okay. You shouldn't feel completely at home in this world. There should be some uneasiness and some holy dissatisfaction with the fact that we're still in a fallen and a corrupt world. And I'll tell you at the end how we can make sure that we don't get our our eyes off of the prize. Second thing I want to show you. If you look back in Genesis 12, here we have this account where Abram and his family have to go down into Egypt. Now there's a famine in the land and it was severe. And so Abram is saying, we got to go down into Egypt. And y'all are probably familiar with this story. I'll just kind of summarize it for you. But basically, Abram looks at Sarai, who apparently still in this later part of her life was a beautiful woman. And he says, look, we're going to go down here. This, the Egyptians are going to look at you and be like, she is gorgeous. Let's go tell Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's going to want to take you as his wife. And they're going to what? They're going to kill me. And so they come up with this plan, they, this contrived plan. He says, listen, why don't you just tell the Egyptians that you're my sister, and then they won't kill me. Now, there was a half-truth in that because she was his half-sister. But she was his wife. And we see that Abram and Sarah come up with this plan. They go down to Egypt. Of course, Pharaoh sees her, takes her into his um, harem, I don't know to the extent to which were they, were they ever officially married or were they ever, did they ever really know each other in that way. I don't know. The scripture is very vague about what really happened. Some people say it probably did happen. Some people say maybe it didn't happen. At the end of the day, he gave Abram all this wealth as a bride price. He said, okay, this is your sister. I'm going to just shower you with abundance of wealth. Took Sarai into his home and the Lord begins to pour out what? Plagues on the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, what's going on? He figures out what really happened. He knows he'd been deceived. He goes to Abram and says, why'd you lie to me, man? I don't know. Why'd you do this to me? Take your wife and what? Get out of here with all this wealth and abundance. What do we learn from this story? Here's what we learn. Like Abram, we often make decisions by leaning on our own understanding, but the Lord will direct our steps in the end. Let me say that again. Sometimes we make decisions by leaning on our own what? Understanding. We got to figure it out. Got to come up with a plan. And sometimes that plan may be good. Most of the time it's probably not. And what we don't really see in this passage, we don't see Abram consulting the Lord about what to do. But common sense is going to tell us there's a severe famine in the land of Canaan. They're going to starve to death if they stay there. So practically speaking, they had to go find relief somewhere. So they're going to go down into Egypt where there was food. But guys, this is exactly what our life is like. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? He'll direct your path. Now, before we start giving Abram and Sarah a hard time, I do want to throw a couple of suggestions out there to you. We don't know if Abram consulted the Lord before going to Egypt. Um, it was probably just a good decision. We got to go get some food. We, we, Egypt's the best place to go, so let's go down there. So I don't necessarily think it was a sin for him to go to Egypt. Now, when it comes to Abram 
suggesting this plan about Sarah and his sister not, not being his wife and all that kind of stuff, I do think that it, Abram shows a very big lapse of faith at this point. Because if you remember in Genesis 12, just a few passages before that, what did the Lord promise Abraham? Listen, I will bless those who bless you and I will what? Curse those who curse you. In other words, Abram, I got you, man. I'm going to protect you. Even your enemies I will protect you from. So I think that right here, Abram had, a, had an opportunity to exercise faith in the Lord to say, listen, they may try to kill me, but I'm going to put my hope and faith in the Lord. He's made me a promise that he's going to protect me, and we're just going to go, and we're going to, we're going to trust in God instead of trying to come up with this, this contrived plan. So, yeah, I think we see a negative example here of Abram trusting in his own what? Understanding. But in the end, God did what? He worked it out. Isn't it good to know that even when we're boneheaded, and make stupid decisions, that God loves us, that again, if we're still willing to, to be in a, if we're a covenant relationship with God, he still wants to work it out in the, in the end. He still is going to direct our steps and try to get us where we need to be in the end. Now, we may have to take the long way there because of our stupid mistakes and decisions, but eventually he's going to bring us back to where we need to be. I'm sure all of, all of you in this room can probably share testimony about decisions and things that you did that I've done where I trusted in my own wisdom and my own understanding. I tried to come up with my own plan, but without consulting God, made some pretty bad decisions, suffered some pretty bad consequences because of it. But then I look back and God finds where I needed to be because he still is going to direct our, our paths and our steps. Now, the, there's another thing in here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I know I'm, I'm running short. But listen, there's another thing you've got to pick up on here. It's called a prophetic pattern. If you don't pick up on this, the Bible is all about prophetic patterns. What do we see in this story? God's covenant people go down to Egypt because of some type of distress. God sends judgment on Pharaoh, the house of Pharaoh, or the Egyptians, and God's people come out of Egypt with great what? Riches and possessions. You ever heard that story before? Think about the life of, life of Joseph, sold into slavery. He becomes the ruler of Egypt. He ends up saving his family in a time of famine. Think about Moses and the Israelites. Go down into Egypt. They become slaves. God brings judgment on Pharaoh in the house with a bunch of plagues and curses. They come out of Egypt with abundance of what? Possessions. Think about Jesus and Mary. Under the pressure of Herod trying to kill all the children in Bethlehem, they go down where? Into Egypt. They stay until they are in the clear and then they come back out blessed. It's a prophetic pattern. And guess what? It's going to happen again at the end of the age. I'm not going to read that to you if you want to go chase that one down. If you read Isaiah 19, just read Isaiah 19. It's concerning the last days in Egypt. It's going to happen again. Where God's people are going to be delivered. They're going to be brought back out of Egypt with great abundance and possessions and taken out of captivity. And the Lord is going to bless his people. So we see this in prophetic Patterns, But here, here's what I want to get to in this situation. How do we apply this to our life? What is the practical application? Let me ask you a question. Can you run ahead of God? Can we? We try, don't we? Can we, can we fall too far behind the Lord sometimes? Can we stray off the, the path of righteousness? He's got to what? Pull us back. How many times have we experienced hardship and headaches and hurts because of our choices? And yet God wants to bless us anyway. He wants to take something bad and turn it into something good. You see, a man's steps are from the Lord, 
how can he understand his way? Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Romans 8, for God will work everything for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So guys, the thing that we need to understand is that yes, it's better that we do it God's way the first time. But thank God that he's a patient and an understanding God. And that he still will bless us and he still will take our bad decisions and he can still work them for ultimately for our good. And he still is going to get us where we need to be. That's the key. He loves us so much. It's like a parent and, and, and your children. You, you can discipline your children. You can try to teach them the right way and they're going to make their bad decisions or whatever it may be. But in the end, as a, as a father, a loving father and mother, we want, to, we want to see them get to where they need to be. In the end, they may have to take a long way there, like we do sometimes, but ultimately that's what God wants for you and for me. And I'm going to share my last point with you, and we're going to close. Now let's, let's turn our attention to Lot for the next five minutes. So we looked at Abram, who's having to walk by faith. He, he's having to, to, to appreciate and, and stand on the promises of God that he did not even get to receive in his own lifetime. He's still waiting for them now. We look at Abram who didn't quite make the best decisions going down into Egypt and yet God blessed him anyway and God got him to where he needed to be anyway. Because God loves us. We are his children. We're in that covenant relationship with him. But what about Lot? You see, Lot here gives us an example that it is tempting to walk by sight and to fall in love with the world moving dangerously close to the edge of of sin. Look at Genesis 13. I'm not going to cover the whole chapter. Again, kind of give you a, a summary, but I just want to point out a couple of things here as we finish up. So they, they come, Abram and his, his family come out of Egypt. Now listen, they are abundantly, but he was already a pretty wealthy man to begin with. He had servants and, and cattle and, and they had pretty good possessions and all these things. Now they're coming out of Egypt and they've acquired more people and more possessions. And Lot has grown richer because of their trip down into Egypt. So they come out of the land of Egypt. They go back up into the land of Canaan. The famine apparently is over. And now their herdsmen start fighting each other enough pasture, there's not enough fresh water for both of them to be sustained by the land. And so they both come to the conclusion, okay, look, I love you, nephew, I love you, uncle, but we gotta, we gotta split this thing up, man. We gotta go our separate ways. Now notice what Abram does. He says, Lot, tell you what, I'll let you choose. You go whichever way you want. And I'll go the other way. You know what I think happened? I think Abram knew Lot's heart. I think he knew that Lot already had a desire. He was already being drawn toward that place that we call Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram knew that if he gave Lot the option to choose first, that Lot would choose what? He would choose Sodom. And so that's what happened. Lot looks up. He looks over at Sodom in the cities of the plain. Now, at this time, the scripture tells us they had yet to be destroyed. The, the cities had yet to be destroyed. It was a lush, beautiful place. It says it was like the Garden of Eden. It was so beautiful. And Lot looks up in, with his eyes, and he's like, that's where I want to be. 
He's drawn to that with his sight. And then Abram takes stand and answers. So what can we learn from this? Very simple truth as I finish up. Guys, we have a tendency to be drawn and allured and seduced by the ways of the world that are beautiful and attractive and alluring. It's like the lights of Las Vegas in the middle of the desert. You look up and you see it and you're like, wow, I want to go there. There's a lot of action there. There's a lot of excitement there. It's the draw of the world. We all feel it. What is John? First John 2 says, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Remember, he says, for it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'm going to break this down to you real quick. Stay with me, guys. Listen. The lust of the flesh is the inward desire that we have. It's the sinful nature and desire that we have in our hearts. The lust of the eyes is the outward attraction that we see with our eyes and we want to touch that shiny object or go chase after that alluring thing that's out there calling us. And the pride of life is the attitude that I deserve that. So it's inwardly working. I see it outwardly drawing me to it and then I justify it because I say, you know what? I deserve that. I deserve to have that. And that's what we find in the life of Lot. Lot was drawn away into a wicked, wicked place. Now, at first, he just moved up to the edge of Sodom. But when you pick up in Genesis 18, where is Lot? He's in the very center of the city gates. You know what that means? He's one of the guys. He's totally acclimated. What does that mean? Why would Lot get as close to the edge of Sodom without thinking that he's eventually going to step over the, he's going to step over the edge? So my question to you as I close, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Are you flirting dangerously close with sin today? Are you seeing just how close you can get up to the edge without going over? Because it's just a matter of time if you're entertaining sinful thoughts or you're compromising your convictions or you're choosing bad company. Listen, guys, this is a big thing in our culture today. Choosing bad company. Bad company will corrupt good character 100% of the time. If you're in that place today, you're taking a massive risk and you're dangerously standing on shaky ground that's eventually going to cause you to fall and lead you into all kinds of pain and destruction. We must be careful about pushing the boundaries of sin. We got to run away from it, guys. Flee sin, right? Run away from immorality. What Lot should have looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, he knew what it was all about. He knew what that whole place was about. He knew it. He's no dummy. He should have looked up and said, I'm not going there. I'm going to go in the opposite, as far away from that place as I can possibly get. That's what he should have done. And there's terrible consequences to his decision as we see down the road. Some of you today, you're, you're right there. You're on the edge. You've been pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and entertaining thoughts and entertaining thoughts. And it's just a matter of time before you what? You step over the edge. And once you start to fall, guys, I'm telling you, it's a hard, hard fall. It's a hard, hard fall. So I'm going to ask our praise team to come up and I'm just going to give you the remedy, okay? So, so with all of this, walk by faith, right? Not by sight. Don't lean on your own understanding, okay? And how do we avoid falling in love with the world? It's all about where we keep our eyes. 
You keep your eyes fixed on who? On Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the things above. What does Paul tell us in Colossians 3? Always keep your eyes fixed on the things above, not on the things below. What is he reminding us? Just like, just like us, we're still waiting the promises of God to be fulfilled. We're still looking forward to that day when everything will be made new and all of the promises of God will be yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We're still waiting for that. And the only way we can navigate this world without falling in love with the world and getting swept away with the seduction of this world and, and, and finding ourselves dangerously close to sin and in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, the only way we can avoid that is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's your application. Walk by faith. Keep your eyes and set your mind on the hope of heaven where all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So guys, I hope that this message has been good for you today. I know it was good for me as I prepared it. And I want to pray. And if you're here today and you just you need, to, you need to talk, you need to confess sin, you can do that right where you are. You can come see me. We're going to sing one more song together before we go. Okay? So let's use this time to respond accordingly, however the Lord leads you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Help us to get our, our eyes back where they need to be, which is on you and on your uh, son Jesus and on the hope of heaven and all the promises of God. And Lord, forgive us of, of the, the, the things that we have done and entertained in our hearts that we've allowed the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, Lord, to to lead us down a road of destruction, God. Please prevent us from having to take the hard lesson because we know that it's a hard, hard lesson. And help us to do what is right today to confess our sins before you. Search our hearts, Lord. Forgive us of our failures. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Would you stand together as we finish and we sing?